What's up all day, every day, Hoops Podcast listeners? This is Adam Tandez, and we're back with another episode. Thrilled to have Lauren Johnson on the show today. Lauren and I go back six, seven years now when we first met out uh, on a recruiting trip when she was with Loris College and I was a first-year graduate assistant at Ashford University, both schools located in Iowa. And she's got tremendous perspective. What she's done as the head coach at Ripon College is nothing short of amazing. She has a unique take on culture and leadership and tribe. And I think she's going to have great things to share for everyone listening today. Before we kick off the show, I did want to share a message from the Be Contagious Leadership Experience by our friend Hernando Planels. Coach Hernando Planels is a college basketball coach, leadership entrepreneur, and former sports film choreographer. Everyone is trying to get better when leading their team, employees, and themselves. The BCLE gives people an inside view on leadership from the coaches and thought leaders perspective. Be great, be the light, and be contagious. Find out more about Coach Hernando and his movement at www.hernandoplanels.com. Be sure to subscribe to his newsletter and to his podcast as well. Now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. We are here with Ripon College head coach Lauren Johnson. Lauren and I have known each other for quite some time now. She has been at Ripon College since 2013. She has orchestrated a tremendous turnaround uh, for the Ripon Red Hawks, and I'm really excited to have her on today. Lauren, how are you doing? Great, Adam. Awesome to be speaking with you. I want to dive right in. I know basketball has been such a an important part in your family life. Obviously, you you have a twin sister who also played uh, collegiate basketball. You played collegiate basketball. Your dad now is one of your assistants. Congratulations, you're getting married in a couple months, and you're marrying a basketball coach. Yes, absolutely. So it's something that's always, I feel like, a part of your past, a part of your present, and uh, something in your future, uh, basketball, your family. Can you tell us about how awesome that's been? Yeah, it's great to have the support. I think, as as you know, and all coaches experience, it's really important to have people around you that get why you're watching film late at night or get why you wake up early to, to, to work out, to get stuff done so you can get going on the season and what you need to prepare for for that day. So uh, my sister coaches at MSOE uh, with Katie Nelson, and that's been awesome because we can share experiences. Like, what did you say during this point you know, to this player, depending on how the game went? We can learn from each other. Uh, we, know, we know what later practices are like for each other and how that impacts schedules and stuff like that. At Ripton, I don't have a full-time assistant and so my dad's retired and he coached me in high school and he took advantage of an opportunity that we had on staff to come and volunteer and then now he's progressed to be a part-time assistant for me as well uh, and 
I can utilize him, you know, as I would hopefully utilize a full-time assistant someday uh, to help me out with planning and drill prep and practice and film and also recruiting. And so it's just been, we've always been a sports family and I can talk to my brothers about sports. I can talk to my fiance about practice or um, he'll watch film with me as well and kind of give me his viewpoint. Uh, he'll share drills with me that help me become a better coach as well. So it's just, it's been really, it's been a really big deal in my life to just surround myself. And I, and I definitely think it helps me help our team be the best that we can be when I have that support. Sure. Touch on a little bit since your dad coached you in high school. Have you seen him evolve as a coach as well, working with you? Yes. When my dad, when I played for my dad, he was a pretty intense coach, and so that's what I grew up under. And you know, as as hopefully we all do, uh, he's matured as a coach, and so he really has a great perspective right now for the game and for working with young players and young adults. He helps remind me of consistently on a day-to-day basis. So I think that's been big for me just as I've, as every year has gone by at Ripon. And he kind of, he's my checks and balances. You know, he keeps me at a, at a good place a majority of the time, whether it's going well or whether it's not going well. He's the person that makes sure that I'm, I'm appropriate and I'm respectful and uh, I treat people the way they should be treated. Uh, and so I depend on him a lot for that. Um, and I think part of it is him becoming a grandpa, and I think part of him is it is him just maturing with the game. Uh, and my hope is that I'll continue to grow just as he has. And I'm sure he absolutely loves getting to work with you every day. Now, as a part of your answer, though, clearly you're also saying he's overworked and underpaid, but that's that's okay. Exactly. At least, at least yes. you promoted him All to part-time. All of my staff are. All right. of my staff, overworked and underpaid. Unbelievable people. Good. That's right. That's right. Unbelievable people. Your sister and you went to different colleges, and now you guys are both uh, in the same state and only a, a shorter car drive away. How, how has that been? She's my best friend, and so she's been through all stages of the coaching journey with me, including playing as a high school player and as a college player. So there's just, there are times where she'll tell me, you know, I need to focus on something different. There are times where she'll say, you know what, keep doing what you're doing. And we can share that communication with each other, and that's just, that's a neat process. We probably handle things more similarly than different in a lot of cases, but we both have, there are some differences to our personalities being identical twins. There's still a couple of differences, and you know, you've met her. And so Megan just gives me another, she's another great balance for my life that way. You know, she can be really honest with me, and when, when, she, when she speaks, I, I listen. The true, I think, saint in all of this has got to be mom. How's mom cope or uh, relish uh, within all of this? The neat thing about my mom is, like, her sports were frisbee and tennis <laughs> as, a, as a young adult. And she's, she's had the best transformation of all of us. And just, you know, she's really grown with the game, too. And that's what's neat 
about sports and you know she got as she got more and more engaged with what we did uh, in the weekends and the travel and the competition and my dad coaching everything mom learned more and more and more so now I mean I would not want to be in the same room as she's watching our games online you need (laughs) headphones on your ears or something to block out just the yelling and coaching that she does on her own now Um, just watching our teams play she's such a great person and she's been again just another person in my life that I can call you know, when things aren't going well, and she's the same. I can call when things are going well, and she's the same. She's my mom, and she's a supporter, and uh, she loves watching young people try to be successful. And she's probably, out of all of us, she's the best process person I've ever met. And so I know because of that, she's been a huge factor in my dad's life, of course, as well as my, my own and my siblings. So now diving into Rippin the awesome job that you've done there. This was your first head coaching job. But I want to go back to the way beginning. When you were going to be a first-time head coach, what were you thinking? What were you drawing upon for guidance and confidence in that process? And how did you go about tackling that first head coaching job? Well, I don't think I tackled it well at all, Adam. You know, I think I went into, I really wanted to be a head coach. That was one of my dreams. And I was fortunate enough to work for really good coaches. And I thought I learned a ton from each of them. Everything that I, you know, each head coach that I worked for was distinctively different. And I thought that was really important to my future and to form you know, what I wanted to ultimately do as a head coach, as a leader of a program. And so because, I think because they were and that gave me a lot of confidence in what I had learned and my experiences and what I could then formulate with what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. Uh, and I thought that would make it easy. And I thought that would make me really good. Uh, and I thought the process would be so much more efficient than it's ended up being in regards to just reconstruction and a turnaround. Uh, so I went in with basically all the wrong thoughts, unfortunately, besides just really wanting to be there right. and really wanting to be put in that position. That was probably the, one of the only good thoughts I had. But there is one thing that I want to touch on that you shared with me before you took the job. You created this mm-hmm. glossary of terms that you said was going to be really important as you improved upon the culture of basketball that you were inheriting. And it was a a several-page document with everything from how you're going to identify things on the court to even going into some of the stuff that you were going to talk about off the court. And can you tell us a little bit about that? So, yeah, the, you know, our terms list, I think every program, every place, every culture has their own language. And I did did believe in that from the start. Mm -hmm. just having the fortunate opportunities to work under different programs, you know, that was something I learned from each program. Every program handled their language, which formed their culture differently. Mm-hmm. And so I knew it was important to try to get everybody on the same page. That would help, hopefully, in making the reconstruction as efficient as possible. And so we created the terms list, and that was just every term that our coaching staff would use. And when taking over a new program, I 
my assistants were people that I didn't know before. There were two assistants, Dean and Amanda, who had stayed on from the previous staff. And so those two were new relationships with me. And then the team of 15 players, you know, were 15 other new relationships uh, with me. And so it's really important that we all get on the same page basketball-wise. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like, that's the main thing I thought about was the basketball page. And so that's what the trend list was. That's what it, you know, that's what it reflected was our language. So everything from you know, defining a ball screen to defining a hedge, uh, defining a trap, defining uh, how we shift on defense, uh, and defining going off two feet you know, and finishing everything offensively and defensively that one of our coaches, every direction that we would use was defined. So if a player, for whatever reason, felt uncomfortable at that time, in that moment, in practice, to ask, and we didn't explain it, as best as we could, um, what we, the concept that we were trying to get across. They could go to their binder and flip open and turn to the terms list and find the word or the concept that uh, they were still confused about mm-hmm. and didn't quite understand. So that was important for me, that we speak, we're one culture, we speak the same language. Um, and it was something that, like everything else, just had to be practiced. And so our players, our team had that from day one. Right. I love it. And it's it. something that we add to every year. Before every October, preceding we I add to the terms list. I add any new concepts. I add any new terms, offensively or defensively, culture-wise, that we're going to speak. I love it. That's great. Now, with that in hand... How long did it take you to figure out, okay, there needs to be a shift in focus here? And also, how did that then tie into goals culturally and how you guys spoke to each other in order for you guys to get to where you are today, five seasons later? I think the first year, things just weren't going how I had envisioned. Mm-hmm. And like I, I could perceive that. As the year went on, you could. I just didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was influencing. I didn't feel like I was impacting the majority of our team, and so that made me really frustrated. And let me let me instead stop, of let me stop you right there. Ahead. I want to I want to dive into sure. that. How could you tell that there was a little bit of it not going the way you wanted to go? How did you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one you know, buying to standards of the program mm-hmm. that I set up, which could have been part of it. You know, that was just, that was me setting up the standards. This is this is how we're going to act. This is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to treat each other. And instead of it being a discussion, it was, it was a standard. It was a standard that was set from them, for them, mm-hmm. for our team from day one. So I think uh, that was just not upholding uh, reluctance or resistance at times to uphold standards. Um, number two, and this wasn't like everybody on the team, mm-hmm. but uh, it was some, just not a buying to the culture that we were trying to establish, mm-hmm. which, of course, for me, was very basketball-oriented at that time because I thought that was the biggest thing we needed to fix. Two academics, you know, part of those standards as well, how we acted in the classroom, how we approached classes, attendance, and different things like that. Uh, to how we treated each other as people 
uh, within the team and taking care of each other. You know, the real the culture you know, and all of that that sort of you know embodies culture and you know, to how we treat each other and take care of each other, seniors to freshmen, sophomores to juniors, and then just the work ethic of practice, mm-hmm. right? Like how practice is executed, how we approach drills, how we approach being together and the opportunity that day. I would say I receive signals multiple times throughout the year in those various aspects that just didn't feel right and that you know I just got so frustrated with. Was that a testament it's, also to the rosters and the coaching staffs you worked with at Loris, at Coe, at East Texas Baptist? Were you able to compare and contrast that quickly because of what was established at those places? Yeah, I think that's the thing I never understood as an assistant. I, I feel that you know, pretty confident in saying that I never really understood the head coaches I worked for, how emotional they would get, each of them would get over culture. And I never really understood that. Like, it never really made sense to me. I just didn't get it. And then as a head coach, you see it, it hits you smack in the face every single day. And you either decide to fight for it or you don't. And if you don't fight for your culture, the team's never going to act as a unit. They're never going to have each other's backs in big situations and important times of adversity, whether on the court or off the court, both are equally important. And that's something I think being an assistant, I just, you know, there's, you're invested as an assistant, no doubt. You have to be. You have to have the head coach's back. But I think when it's not your ultimately own, I think there are just some things I didn't absorb. And I think it was just, I think it was just an un, you know, not being aware. Right. And so I think I, I got my head coach's perspective right. a lot more. I felt I could identify with them a lot more after my first year, throughout my first year as a head coach, than I probably identified with them on a daily basis as sure. an assistant. And they're moving over that one seat. Now you're able to gain probably important perspective that you didn't have as an assistant, especially when it's now your program and your name attached uh, to everything that happens with that program. So you're realizing this in your first year. You had all these plans. Again, you had your thoughts for what you would do culturally. Now you recognize it in year one. You go into year two equipped with this knowledge, but you end up going two and 21. How were you able to start to right the ship, which then eventually led to in year three, uh, an above 500 season and the biggest turnaround in Ripon women's basketball history. Well, like you said, it went worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, you know, but now you're outside. aware <laughs> at, at, the, at this it point, went, you're aware. Worse. You're aware. Yeah. I was, right. I was totally aware of, <laughs> of how so, bad it was all going. I think the big difference was, you know, our, our program flipped from being upperclassmen oriented to being, uh, very underclassmen oriented in mm-hmm. year two. Uh, and there were multiple times throughout that year that we started for freshmen. And so I think that, that like, there was that hope that, you know what, we've got four freshmen starting in our conference right now. They're going to learn just like we're going to learn as a staff. And right. things will, and sometimes that takes time. And that, that process, uh, I wanted the Chuck process out the window after <laughs> my first year. Definitely 
almost every day the second year. Because you have all these, you go into coaching and you have these ideas and you learn and you try to get your experience. And going back to how we started, when I told you I think I did everything wrong, is I thought the X's and O's really, really mattered. And they do matter, but I got to get the people first. Right. And I think that second year, we had some, we had really good freshmen come in that were just different athletes, uh, that were different basketball players, but still really young. So they had a ton to learn. Fortunately, our, the upperclassmen and the returners that we had, you know, they might not have had a ton of experience prior to because the senior class was a big class the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might not have had a lot of experience, but they had already had a year with me which might have made it a little bit better. Right. <laughs> it isn't better at all. And they might have, uh, that might have just helped them become more used to me, kind of what where I was coming from, you know, just that experience. So, um, But there weren't a lot of times that second year that I felt confident fully in what we were doing because we weren't getting any, we weren't seeing the results. Sure. I hear from our, my closest friends, you know, from the people that were close to me that were really supportive of me in the program to just keep doing that. We're doing the right things. And like, I hung on to those. Mm-hmm. I hung on to those words pretty hard. Like I needed that because you know, I questioned everything. I questioned coaching. I questioned my career. I questioned my ability to impact. You know, I questioned what I was doing. I questioned where I was at. And, but when you have your first recruiting class come in, right, and you have players that return, they they do believe in you as a coach. And I think ultimately in the end that does matter. Mm-hmm. And I tried hard. Uh, if I was talking to myself about anything, I tried to talk to myself about that. That you know, every year now we're going to build and we're going to build and we're going to build and it's taking longer than I wanted and longer than I hoped and maybe I was a little bit unrealistic and maybe this is just how it's going to be. But to stop comparing to other people and stop listening to all their expectations and really focus on what we could do right now. And I think that's kind of when I maybe became more aware of just taking care of the present moment. And every year I just hope to get better and better with that with practices and with my players and our time together in the in the office or on the court or in the classroom. That's when, like, by the end of the second year, I started really believing in just that. I don't know if I was quite sold on the process yet because it was pretty painful, but right, right. focusing on what we could do right now and focusing on us started to matter a lot. How hard was that to mute all those things? And really, what was your process to being able to mute those things so you could try to be uh, process-oriented as you could? I don't think I did a good job of it, Adam. Hmm. Like, I don't think I did a great job muting. You know, there were many times I thought, well, maybe I'm, maybe I would just be better being an assistant. You know, maybe that, maybe that's my role. You know, what I'm good at is being an assistant. I can, I can help a staff. I can relate to players. In that role, I felt I was a rock star at it. You know, mm-hmm. I was really confident in the ability to get players ready to go and get them back to where they needed to be if they went to some place mentally or physically that they just shouldn't, that they didn't need to go to or they just shouldn't have or that wasn't helping the team. And I felt really good at that, good mm-hmm. at that as an assistant. I felt the worst at it my first couple of years as a coach. And so, you know, to not compare, I, I think that takes maturity. I think that takes experience and uh, it's something I still catch myself doing too much probably 
because um, yeah, there were a lot of times where I thought, well, maybe I should just go back to Lawrence. <laughs> maybe I should go back to Co. <laughs> and maybe they'd take me back, and uh, you know, I could, it could be like it used to be. You know, we won games and we were successful, and people knew about the program and people admired it. And you know, we had and we had good and we had really good players that worked really hard. And you know, so well, I, I think it's so important. I think that's why you need to have as a coach, you need to have mentors and you need to have people that are going to stand by you no matter what, no matter how ugly it looks or how ugly it gets, that are just going to believe in you. And maybe at times it's a relatively false belief. You know, maybe at times they're just talking because they don't really ultimately know what's going on in practice and they have their own teams and stuff like that, but, but they believe in you as a person and they give you that feedback. And that's what I depended on my family for. That's what I depended on my mentors for. And even the people at Ripon who were, who were supportive, you know, it was just depending on their kind words and their encouragement and the good things that they might have seen. It might have only been one offensive possession, like five passes, or it might have only been one game where we out-rebounded an opponent or you know, one great defensive series. And, but as little as that would be or how much our players talk, some of those things you just got to hold, hold your hat on when you're young. And, and really hold it and hold it really close to you uh, as a team and as a coach and just and build on it right. and keep going. Love it. LJ, that's all really good stuff. I did want to take a moment right now and tell our listeners about the WBCA. Coaches of women's and girls basketball, the WBCA is your community. Since 1981, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association has been there advocating for our sport and supporting coaches at every level. They have amazing in-person educational opportunities like the WBCA convention, which is held in conjunction with the NCAA Women's Final Four, and regional coaches' classroom clinics. They have e-learning through their monthly webinar series as well as over 700 videos, plays, and drills on their website www.wbca.org Along with information, they are the place you go to expand your network. The Coach to Coach Mentoring Program connects members throughout the season and their in-person Mentoring Madness sessions put you next to other experienced head and assistant coaches that can give you instant feedback and help you meet whatever challenges you might be facing. The WBCA is there to give you all the tools you need to be your best. Learn more today at www.wbca.org and become part of this premier coaching association. Now, back to the show. Fast forward now. After that year, you turn it around. In the past two years, you're 34 and 15. You're also a beast in the MWC. You're 29 and 5. How are you able to do that? And I think this might tie into a little bit of what you talked about at our coaches clinic. How did you then continue to cultivate your tribe? Well, focusing on the little things like how we talk to each other, how we touch each other, how we treat each other, I think, and just became more and more of an emphasis. So to the point where, as an example, we chart touches in practice. One of our student assistants is keeping track of that in practice. And those will be points we talk to players about. And if they're frustrated with playing time, if they're not touching people a couple of days in a row, you know, that's a direct conversation with the players. Uh, so 
how we talk and talk back, how we communicate to each other, that in every form of communication, there needs to be a talk back. That's, that's mature, that's adult communication, that's what we're building towards being a good teammate. Hmm. So specific things like that, like just making those things a big part of everything. And it can't be a hundred things, but it needs to be a couple of things that we're really, really, really specific about and that we're going to track and we're going to get better at and we're going to hold the team accountable too. So that became more and more part of the process. Mm. Um, there are other aspects like defense. If I can get X's and O's, <laughs> sound like a, a, you know, not sound like No, this is all great because stuff. Because it all matters. You stop it. Yes, this is all um, great. We focused, we had to focus on defense. One, we were always younger. Mm-hmm. You know, getting my first couple, that second year, third year, we were still really, really young. And so defense mattered. And mm-hmm. so, you know, more than half of our practice is defense. Uh, so it's focusing on fundamental things like that. Like, what are we going to need to be consistent first? And that consistency hopefully will then make us successful. And once we become consistent and Defense was a big deal. Scheduling tough non-conference and I'm trying to like grab different pieces for uh, this conversation. But a scheduling tough non-conference, you know, our players had to learn what the best teams look like, how mm. they defend, how they, you know, how they play offensively, how they talk to each other. And they had to see how they even warm up. You know, we had no idea those first couple of years. We had no idea. You know, that wasn't a part of our culture yet, and so. Like putting our teams in position to do that, and you know, we'll continue to play tough non-conference wise because if we can play some of the best teams in our state and in our region, which we're really lucky in the Midwest Division three wise, the very talented region, um, non-conference wise, we can play those teams. And those are those positions, those experiences are going to put us, give us the practice to be successful right. against our league. Hopefully, that's the idea of it. And even and even the times where we fail, and even the times where it doesn't work out right. And unfortunately, non-conference-wise, we've taken a lot of hits in this process. And I'm bought into the fact that that's part of this process. That's part of you know, the full turnaround. That's part of helping our program be one of the best in our region. And that's what we're striving for. And so all those things, I think, became more and more part of the process, uh, including how we act as a team. And this one is is a real battle because everybody comes from a different place in regards to their high school, their family environment. And you know, it's, it's it's tough. It's probably the hardest thing. It's one thing to get people to go off PC consistently. And I can hold them accountable to that. And we can you know, do different things to encourage that. And Playing time obviously is the ultimate accountability factor, but you know to to get somebody to really be happy for a teammate when she's succeeding, or, or to get somebody to reach out to somebody else, a teammate on the team who's acting differently, not quite the same. And that's the hardest part of every single day is to help our our young people, young adults, as coaches and as teachers, to to really initiate and be intentional about. That part of the process of being on a team, and so that's where our tribal culture came in. I was fortunate enough; um, my fiance has added a lot to my life, including you know the tribal culture. They Waukesha West, he coaches at Waukesha West, and uh, they were you know, he was posting a lot of tribal culture 
messages on social media, and I have no idea. You know, I follow a lot of coaches around uh, the state as well as programs, of course. That's a big part we all do as recruiting. And, and, but I bugged him about it. I asked him, what's this tribal culture stuff? I don't get it. Drive. Like, I don't get it. I've never seen that before. I've heard, you know, new books were coming, more and more books were coming out about tribes and, and, you know, that part of leadership, but I, I've never read anything. Um, I'd never read an article or a book um, about tribal culture at all, and so he introduced me to it, and it seems to be one of the leadership structures that our people can identify with mm-hmm. and directly because of the language that we use, so and the language that other people use, that everybody else uses. And so I think that's helped us. Um, we fail. <laughs> we're not. Unfortunately, we're still so far from ultimately what I want the vision to, what the vision is, you know, but uh, we're trying every single day right. you know, to be the best tribe that we can be, and that's, that's all part of the process. Right. A couple of things. I'm taking notes because I love it. I love, what, I love everything that you're sharing. Basically, you're also saying you guys have tribal culture to thank for your marriage. That's That's good. <laughs> Without that, you wouldn't have bugged him and wanted to uh, get him to talk to you about it. I mean, sure, it, it happened to be a great tribal culture piece, but really it was a, a, re- a personal recruitment tool on your own. I like that. Uh, that's good. That's good. A uh, couple of things that you said that I wrote down when someone's spoken to, you expect them to speak back. Why is that an important factor in how you guys talk amongst your tribe? Today, and we get this from all angles, but we seem as people so disconnected, you know, so connected in some ways, uh, but so disconnected from each other because there's always space, right? We're doing it on phone and we're doing it in email, uh, and there's less of a face-to-face. And so, especially when we're not face-to-face, it's really easy to get a message. And you know, if you're not face-to-face, well, how do you know if somebody, somebody, you know, somebody's not looking at your nonverbals? If you're choosing not to respond and somebody's not asking, repeating themselves directly to your face and you get text message, you can choose to read it. You know, you can choose to have your reader seats on or not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, and so you choose at all times when you get a message, I feel, today in our world. And uh, there are some things that, like, just to open a message and do not respond. You know, there are things that are really important in regards to communication, and it's that reciprocal communication. When you ask somebody, and you use the word please, would you, right? And then there's thank you, the reciprocal communication mm-hmm. uh, after that. You know, and then after you, after someone says thank you, then there's, you're welcome. You know, that's how we were all raised. And so there's a part of that talk, talk back, just that reciprocal communication that's really important. Uh, when you're working with people and when you're trying to be personal and there's so much about the game there's so much about playing time right that people take it's so personal and when we're working with students every day and we're working with people in intense situations you know the personal becomes more and more (laughs) and more important and so that talk talk back was i i really can't remember i'm sure i got it from somebody i can't remember uh ultimately who, because it probably would have been around when we started, but uh, you know, I remember instructing the team and not getting a head nod or not getting a yes or something like that. I remember shooting a text or shooting an email and not getting a response. And so our talk talk back was just 
you know, if it's an email, you get probably 24 hours. If it's a text, like, you got to respond as soon as, you know, within reasonable time of you actually looking at that message and opening it up. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's a big reason why I have re- my reading <laughs> on my phone. Um, you know, it matters to me. It matters that other people know that I respond to them in regards to communication. Um, and so we're just trying to, you know, if somebody doesn't know where you're at, if somebody doesn't know what you're thinking, because you choose to not address it, um, or choose to only address it when it's convenient for you, you know, that's not being on a basketball team. I'm only going to play help defense when it's convenient for me. You know, no, that's not going to help you or the team succeed. You know, you're only going to tap to somebody's hands when it's convenient for you, when you don't have a defender in your face. You know, no, that's not how... It's not what you do when you're on a team. And so it's it's a habit that we try to build, and it's, we fail at that too. You know, there are constant reminders. There's accountability with our talk-talk-back rule, but it's as simple as please and thank you when you're welcome, and hi, right, and hi, you know, greeting each other, mm-hmm. uh, and just acknowledging like a head nod. If somebody on our team tells somebody else to do something, like a upperclassman tells an underclassman, or an underclassman tells an upperclassman, well, I always jump for joy and do a dance, but, uh, you know, something like that. <laughs> there, you know, there needs to be reciprocal communication, you know, that that message was received, and that's just that's how we treat each other with respect, and it's how how adults communicate, and that's the habit that we're trying to build. Right. I, I don't want to forget, for anyone that listens to this and is interested in the tribe stuff, what is the tribe book that, obviously down there, you said there are many, but what is the tribe book that you kind of have centered a lot of this stuff off of? Yeah, so anybody can feel free to contact me as well. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got a PowerPoint that I built off of, you know, Mark's program, mm-hmm. um, and then the Tribal Leadership book is Tribal Leadership. So it's Dave Logan, John King, and Haley Fisher Wright. Your listeners will YouTube Tribal Leadership by Dave Logan. They actually he has an awesome YouTube video on YouTube that might have been a TED Talk, maybe. Um, okay. That's about 20 minutes, and he and he runs through Tribal Leadership. Uh, just an overview of it. It's an outstanding speaker. It'll be easy for your listeners to be engaged, and it could help, too. Now, I do want to get into last couple things here. I've seen Lauren at Coaching You Live. I've seen her at What Drives Winning Final Four Convention. I know you've done stuff with the Women's Coaches Alliance, so mm-hmm. you're just being modest, I'll say that. But kind of speak to that as well. I feel like you don't think you've arrived now that you've gotten your head coaching position. I think you are consistently yearning for more and more knowledge and you're challenging yourself and you're finding something, you know, at one point it was one thing a year to learn from some convention or something to go to, to help improve your knowledge base, both on and off the court. And talk about how that stuff has helped you. And if you could share what your best one has been? It was, it's all an investment and it takes time, of course, and uh, you've got to be able to have the resources to go because most things, unfortunately, (laughs) with large groups of people cost money. 
Yeah, I think there's the game changes so fast, which is awesome. You know, it's so different from when we played in high school and in college. And uh, right now, the, the women's game is just exciting time to be a female basketball player mm-hmm. and be involved in the game uh, as a coach uh, for everyone that coaches uh, at the you know at every level because players can be more and more younger. Uh, depending on when they're introduced to the new concepts, right, and just the uh, advances in the game. And so I think that requires yearly investment Mm -hmm. um, or at least maybe not always monetarily, just getting together with other coaches and and growing and doing what you do, Adam, you know, going over and going through a newsletter, sharing newsletters or getting together with coaches and talking about issues that came up in the year off the court, on the court-wise, any new things, you know, watching a lot of basketball in the offseason, the NBA, the NBA, you know, college, if, um, depending on when your season ends to just the tournament time. If you're lucky enough to recruit, you know, watching and talking with coaches out on the road about anything that came up, you mm-hmm. know, any issue that you had, any problem that you don't feel like you quite solved or you could be better at that could help your team. I think we have to take advantage of those times. That investment of time needs to be there. It's It, it should be a requirement. And I think I've been fortunate enough to have resources where I can go to those things. I received a grant for the Alliance of Women's Coaches from our conference, which was awesome. Mm. Uh, that was unique because it was just women's coaches. And as a female coach, that meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I think Point Guard and just the Glazier Clinic, we went to this spring, yeah. uh, which brought another unique perspective. Um, you were at the Northern Illinois Clinic last fall. I got to watch several different coaches and from different programs. Um, walk through, you know, practice drills to, you know, shooting drills uh, to transition offense, you know. And so you take, you never really know what you're going to learn and what you'll be able to apply. You know, if somebody has a similar team or, or a, a unique system, you can take pieces from everything, whether it's an action or uh, a philosophy or a standard or, you know, how a program holds or how a coach holds players accountable and so that's probably something I really got from my dad (laughs) he was always constantly trying to learn he was always watching videos when uh, he was growing up to try to learn and going to clinics and uh, he's kind of my collector I collect on the computer my dad collects like hard copies of everything and so he'll bring out his his basketball bag and he's got piles of papers loose papers and note cards that are filled with nuggets or drills and um, that we'll use every year, you know, every week of practice. So I'll say, hey, Dad, what do you think about this? Or what do you got for this? Or how do you think we should, how do you think we should progress this or adjust this or teach this differently because we're not getting it? And so I think I directly kind of got that from him. He's always been that type of a learner. And as a teacher and a coach himself, you know, that really had a lot of influence on me. Yeah, that's great. Again, perfect way to kind of segue into the end here, kind of finishing how we started talking about your dad and your familial influences, which is awesome. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. This has been really, really informative, educational. There's a lot of stuff that I typed out and wrote out here that uh, reconvene with you about. But I do want to make sure 
after listening to you, if people want to get in touch with you, whether it's for the tribe PowerPoint or just to ask you questions about some of the things you touched on tonight, what, uh, what's the best way to reach you? I, I know you're, I tease you all the time cause you're always like, you're a late adopter to social media, but what are some ways to follow you and your program and your email address and things like that? If you could please share. Yep. So email is Johnson L at ribbon.edu and then Twitter is at RC Coach Lauren. Instagram is Hoops for Lauren as well. Um, yeah, if there's anything I can do to help the process, I'd be more than happy to do. And if there's anything you can help me <laughs> with in regards to the process, please feel free <laughs> volunteer that advice as well. Absolutely. I'm sure people will. And I'm sure people will reach out and ask you some stuff as well. Again, great talking to you, LJ. Uh, this was really, really good. Like I said, I, I loved it. I love that you were on and able to do this tonight. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, thanks, Adam. All right. We'll talk soon. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the latest All Day, Every Day Hoops podcast. We will be back next week with another great episode. In the meantime, to stay connected to us, please email me at A-T-A-N-D-E-Z at N-I-U so I can put you on the mailing list for our newsletter. Also, for basketball drills and other stuff having to do with the game between the lines, please check out our YouTube channel. You just have to search all day, every day hoops in the search bar. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think. Between now and the next episode, please make sure you're being a great servant leader for your boss and you're being a great example for your team. Have a great week.